0: This is Bible. Thank you. Um, the reading today is from Acts chapter 5 verses 1 to 14. It's about Ananias and Sapphira. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept part of the money for himself, but bought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, "Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and you have kept yourself some of the money received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will also carry you out. At that moment she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. (coughs) The apostles healed many. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number.
1: Thanks very much. So this is uh, quite a challenging sermon, quite a challenging um, passage of scripture, and I have um, I sat and wrestled with it for a couple of weeks, and um, <clears throat> yeah, I will I'll explain to you um, the conclusions I've come to, and yeah, be interesting uh, the your reactions to the story. But first of all, we'll just remind ourselves where we're at. We're continuing our series on the book of Acts, and we've seen that the, the dwelling place of God is the church, that's us. We, his people, are his new temple. And that's um, a fundamental message of the book of Acts. <clears throat> and if this is the case, uh, we've concluded that the most important thing we can do as his dwelling place, is to ask for more of himself, more of the Holy Spirit, um, so that it's no longer us that live, but him that lives in us. And um, to seek a greater expression of his presence in our midst. <clears throat> and over the past few weeks, we've seen that where the Spirit of God dwells, he moves in, in great power uh, to be with his people and to bless them. Uh, and we've also seen His a reaction, both positive and negative, to the Spirit of God when he moves. And the positive reactions uh, we saw in Acts 4, where many people were astonished at the healing of the lame beggar and rejoiced greatly in his healing. And, and many people came to the Lord uh, after that miracle, which is wonderful. And another positive reaction was that the members of the church themselves, who prized the presence of the Lord so much, were, were prepared to, to sell their possessions and, and give uh, the, the money to the church. And we'll, we'll talk more about that later on. And the negative reaction was the start of the persecution of the early church, and we, we saw um, that in, in Michael's sermon. And today we encounter another negative reaction to the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and this negative reaction is, is much more insidious than the persecution of the church by those in authority uh, because it comes from within the gathering. And the bizarre story of Ananias and Sapphira that we have just read has been debated for 2,000 years. And I've kind of um, covered both sides of the story, or multiple, multiple sides of the stories, as it were, um, in the last week and a half. And it raises a great, a great number of questions. Why did they die? Why did Ananias and Sapphira die? Did God kill them? And if so, why did God kill them? Why is the story in the Bible. Are we supposed to learn something from it? If so, what is the central message of the story that God will kill us if we lie to the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to lie to the Holy Spirit anyway? And the conclusion I've come to is that where God moves in power like he did in the the early church Pharisees are attracted and we'll, we'll unpack more of that as we go. So Let's get into it. Um, the first question we need to ask in understanding the story is why did, why did they do this thing? Why did they do it? And in the preceding chapter, we read this. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So this is, um, of course... Um, Barnabas who we, we read a lot about in, in the rest of the New Testament and he had his name changed as, as a result because he was such a huge encouragement um, to the apostles in the early church and I, I dug into this, this thing about putting your money at the apostles feet, what, what was that about and it means, it was symbolic of the fact that money was not his God ok so possessions didn't own Barnabas Barnabas' own possessions and was prepared to <coughs> sell them and, and give them away, give the money away. And that's, that's an incredible, incredibly free spiritual place to be when we're not defined by what we own. And in our society, <coughs> that's a key source of identity, isn't it? Uh, we tend to rate those with, with more money like, um, I don't know, Jeff Beesel, so we read about him all the time. Don't his net worth went up 13 billion in one day, or something crazy like that. And we go, "Oh, Jeff, what amazing!" Um, <clears throat> but Barnabas uh, wasn't wasn't owned by his possessions. And it's important to realise that in the in the in the culture of that time, there's no banks, right? So so land was not only. Um, uh, represented wealth because you, you were able to afford to buy it, but it also was a means to make money, so it was a way of of subsistence you know to to live and it was a retirement fund too, because you passed it to your children, so often a property might be in the same family for generations you know centuries perhaps um, so if you sold it <laughs> it 's gone right and, and got, you won 't have anything to pass to your children so um, it was a it was a real real big deal. Um, probably more so than than what that land means to us now because we can we eventually go and buy some more. Um, but once you sold that land, uh, wow, that was a, a significant thing back in those days. So Barnabas was free from the need to be defined by his possessions because he found his true identity as a child of God, and even though. Barnabas wasn't looking for honour and respect. I think um, the early church must have really been buzzing about what he did, Um, how amazing he was, how generous he was, um, the sacrifice that he had made. and The honour must have been the envy of Ananias and Sapphira, because in chapter (laughs) 5 we read that they conspired to do the same thing but they're going to hold a portion of the money back for themselves. And isn't it interesting, um, this is a classic case of uh, when we strive to earn the adulation of other people, um, often it tends to custard, and it really turned to custard. In this case, super custard, I would hazard a guess. <coughs> um, so, yeah, and I've experienced the same thing in my life, you know, you're so desperate for other, especially when you're younger, you're so desperate for other people to say how awesome you are, and then it just all tends to cast in a look around like a real fool. Um, so, by bringing the remaining money from the sale of the property and putting it at the feet of the disciples, it appeared that they were giving it all, and and that money was their servant, not their master. That their, their money didn't own them, and and all the all the kind of things that that Barnabas exhibited, uh, but the truth was uh, that their possessions actually owned them. And the adulation and the claim of other people owned them as well. And they didn't bank on a revelation uh, to Peter from the Holy Spirit about what they had done that exposed their scheme to the whole church. So um, yes, interesting, interesting times. And it's interesting to see what Peter said to them after the Holy Spirit revealed their deceit to him. He didn't say that he was offended by what they did. He, he didn't say that their, defeat, uh, their deceit had hurt the church. Uh, in fact, he said that the property was theirs before it was sold and they could have done the money what they liked. And as one of the uh, commentaries pointed out, this means that there was no obligation imposed on the disciples to sell property and and to bring the money to the church. Those who did it, did it voluntarily, and it doesn't appear to have been done by all or even expected by all. But Peter said that their primary sin was lying to the Holy Spirit. And um, I was wrestling, I wrestled with that for. Uh, a long time. But what does this mean? <clears throat> it means that in their hearts they had sought to hide from God their true motives for what they had decided to do. And like the Pharisees and teachers of the law that Jesus condemned so strongly, they were hi- hypocrites. They were, on, they were putting on an act. They wanted people to, um, they were presenting uh, part of themselves to people uh, which was different from who they were. They wanted to look like true believers, but they weren't. They desired the praises of men rather than the praises of God. Um, They wanted the credit and the honour for being givers, like Barnabas was, but they weren't true givers. They didn't give for God's honour and glory. They gave for their own honour and and glory. They didn't give to benefit others, they gave to benefit themselves. So it appears that they were utterly captive to what money could buy them which was reputation, honour, and approval. And they were completely captive to what other people thought of them. And they missed the fact that salvation is by grace alone, and we can't, it can't be attained through spiritual achievement. And in fact, <clears throat> as I read the story, I wondered to myself, like it says that Ananias and Sapphira conspired to, to, with this plan of action, but it was Ananias... They took the money to, to the disciples. <laughs> so it's like, it's like doing a, a baby gender reveal without your wife. <laughs> <Right? clears throat> come up with a plan uh, while she's not looking, run away and, and do it to get the, get the glory, right? Um, that's the only thing I could come up with. Why, otherwise, why didn't he just go with his wife together? They, they conspired to do it uh, t- together. But it was only Ananias that um, charged him with the cash. (coughs) Or some of the cash, as the case may be. But there's something deeper here um, that we need to articulate. (coughs) This couple believed that they needed something else in addition to God's grace to be free or or to bring salvation. That something else was reputation, the acclaim of others, and perhaps the self-reliant I did it my way attitude. <coughs> and why is this so toxic to God? Because it is saying that... Thanks, It's saying that the gift of a son is insufficient. The gift of Jesus is lacking something. It's necessary to have Jesus plus something else. You put yourselves in God's shoes for a while. You've just given your, your precious only son for the sins of the world to, to die on the cross. And someone says, thanks, but that's, that's actually not enough for me. <clears throat> I need something else. I mean, I get mad thinking about that. So I can only imagine what, how God reacts when the attitude comes through and different people. (coughs) But then I thought, which one of us has not conceived and carried out things so that others would speak well of us? (laughs) Who is totally free here from living under the tyranny of other people's um, expectations or views or opinions of us? Who here has perfect integrity such such that their outside life completely matches their inside life? Mm. Anyone?
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> so, if that's the case, I was like, what's the difference between Ananias and Sapphira and us? What's a, the what's a difference? And if there's a difference, how can we know where we stand? <clears throat> I think that what Peter said in verse 3 is critical, How is that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? Mm -hmm. And uh, that made me think, were Ananias and Sapphira true believers? Were they true believers in Jesus? Is it possible for a true believer to have their heart filled with Satan? Mm -hmm. I hope not. I can't see how that's possible. And on top of this, um, Joseph Prince believes that it's helpful to compare Acts 51 and Acts 910 Now remember, when, when Paul was, was converted on the road to Damascus, there was another guy called Ananias as well. And he went and, and prayed for Paul, even though he was like terrified of doing that. And it says, but a certain man, so this is in Acts 51 but a certain man named Ananias, but in Acts 910 a certain disciple, Right, So one's a certain man, the other is a a certain disciple. And he thinks that points to the fact that one was Ananias, the second Ananias was a genuine disciple, the first one wasn't. Now I'm not quite sure how much um, weight to put on that, but I think in combination with what Peter said about Satan filling the heart of Ananias and Sapphira, I think it's clear that Ananias and Sapphira were not true disciples. So what were they? I think they were Pharisees, pretenders acting the part of true believers, but they weren't. So that's all very well, but who isn't conscious of an inner Pharisee in themselves, like we've just been saying? And once again, C.S. Lewis comes to our rescue. He says, Luckily we have a test if we want to know whether we are a Pharisee or not, or we're tending in that direction. Whenever we find that our religious life is making us feel that we are good, above all that we are better than someone else, I think we may be sure that we are being acted on, not by God, but by the devil. (coughs) Thank you, C.S. Lewis. That's quite an uncomfortable statement, isn't it? Quite uncomfortable. And another thing I think we can do, because what we're trying to do is destroy the part of us, or ask God to get rid of the part of us that wants to draw attention to ourselves, how good we are, (coughs) how much better than we are than other people. Because that that is essentially the core of what it means to be a Pharisee. I think another thing we can do is embrace those experiences life, in life uh, in which we feel that we have made ourselves look bad in the eyes of others <clears throat> and, and perhaps even of ourselves. <coughs> like, uh, I, I had a situation on, on Friday where I, I had some important uh, information to tell a client, and my team leader had been telling me, and I, bring them, bring them. But I said, no, I, I'll just send them an email, flick off an email. It didn't go well. Um, and I thought, man, you know, and I told my team leader, I was like, yep, yeah, I should have reigned. <coughs> she said, yep. <laughs> and I felt, I, I, I kind of left work on Friday. That was just at the end of the day. And I was like, oh. you know, but I was just like, embrace, embrace that feeling rather than um, trying to um, put it out of, my mind rather than pretend it wasn't as bad as, as what it was um, I think it, what we can do is embrace it and, and even in those situations where we, we like completely lost our temper or something or you know, obviously um, we're in the wrong such that we had to apologise to someone and, and to the Lord because even though we're already forgiven uh, all of our sins uh, I, it's really important that we say sorry to God and, and, yeah, and, and even we're not, we're not confessing to achieve forgiveness, um, we're, we're confessing because it brings humility <clears throat> ok, so I think that's really important that, that, that if we are in the wrong, we say sorry to the, to the Lord um, but then what we can do is thank him for his forgiveness, that he holds us in that place of, of perfection in his sight so uh, yeah, I've, that that's helpful for me in terms of dealing with those situations rather than something going around and around and around in your mind and, and you can't it's on replay, you know, replay, 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 and, and you think maybe I should have done that, if I should see that. And I, stop all that <clears throat> and just say, Lord, I uh I did that and I had a shocker and I'm sorry for if I portrayed you in a bad light or if I'm I'm sorry um, that I brought shame on your name or whatever. <coughs> but Even deeper. I'm also sorry for worrying myself sick over what someone else thinks of me. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Right? Because that's the underlying... That's why that thing's going around and around and around in your mind. Because we we worry. Oh, that person might not think I'm good anymore. "Ah, Well, I'm not good. Simple. That's why I need grace. That's why I need the Lord. Mm -hmm. Praise you, Lord, that it shows me that I need your grace. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lord, that you still love me and that I'm still perfect in your eyes because of Jesus gift of perfect righteousness. And that's as, as we move our eyes away from ourselves and on to Jesus, we'll find that uh, the joy and the peace and the well-being and the, and the approval of God, because that's, that's, that's what we have in Christ, right? The approval of God. <coughs> that floods your spirit, and, and we'll stop that on replay. But let's get back to Ananias and Sapphira, and let's um, come to the real crunchy part of the story. Um, when Peter exposes Ananias' plan, he falls down dead. Now initially when I looked at the Greek word for fell down, uh, used here, it means to fall prostrate or <coughs> of those overcome by terror or astonishment or grief. And it's the same word used in Revelation 1.17. <coughs> uh, this is the Apostle John when he, when he saw the vision of Jesus uh, you know, the eyes of fire and, his, and his, his hair is white as snow. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. It's the same word. And initially I thought, well, that's a response, right? So it's not necessarily that the Holy Spirit administered um, the coup de grace, as the case may be. It could be just that, that, that they were overcome with terror and, and fell dead. Um, but then I, I I felt, well, i better go and look at at how this word is used in the rest of the New Testament and I did come up with Hebrews 3.17 Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not those who sinned whose corpses fell in the desert? In the wilderness? So the same word there fell is the same word that's used for Ananias. So <clears throat> I think it's clear to me that in answer to the question who killed him, well God did. God brought judgment on Ananias and Sapphira. And any other explanation runs into the difficulty of trying to explain Sapphira's death, which Peter (coughs) predicted, right? So so Sapphira came out, he gave her an opportunity to say, well, actually, no, it's not true. But she didn't, and then again. So it's quite the weighty story, quite a sobering story. And, but if this is the case, wasn't the Lord a bit over the top here? <laughs> Didn't the punishment outweigh the crow? <laughs> I've been reflecting on this question uh, for quite some time. And it seems to me that God is particularly sensitive to any belief that would seek to supplant what Jesus did with anything else. And that's why Jesus was so vocal against the Pharisees, because they completely rejected the need for a saviour because of their supreme confidence in their own goodness. <clears throat> and this is from Luke 20:45, where Jesus said, While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the Lord. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the place of honour at the banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. let <clears throat> stop... <clears throat>
0: I think widows are vulnerable
1: women, uh, perhaps or took advantage of them in other ways um, which again would make them hypocrites because they are yeah, I mean I, I haven't studied that in particular but I think that's what it means So again it's not necessarily those people who we would think um, in our view um, should be punished most severely it's, it's the people that desire the praises of others look, look at all those um, aspects of what Jesus said that, that they want the respect and the acclaim and the admiration of others <clears throat> so um, so this attitude this parasitical attitude negates Jesus' sacrifice and not only negates it it says it's not really worth anything because they don't need it and that's, that's what God is, it seems to me is very sensitive to <clears throat> so while it looks um, bad from our perspective like God has <clears throat> administered it out an uh, over the top punishment from God's perspective who looks at the heart uh, it doesn't look bad <clears throat> and then it struck me that it seems that God is very sensitive to the weeds of this belief growing in the hearts of his children too And while it doesn't result in judgment for those of us who rely on Jesus' righteousness, it does result in discipline. And I thought about my own life, and I know that at one stage in my life, I definitely supplanted what Jesus did for me on the cross to some extent with my desire for marriage. So I was basically saying to God, thanks for Jesus, but you need to give me marriage as well. In other words, thanks Jesus, but wasn't enough. I needed the grace of God and a wife. Yeah. I can laugh about it now. It wasn't funny at the time. And the result was that God was prepared to let me live in the pain of loneliness for twenty years, until I He led me to reject the idea that God needed to do anything else to prove His love for me. Now is that over the top? It was a long time. It was twenty years. It was hard. <coughs> um,
0: <coughs> was that over the top? Mm, that's right. That's right.
1: <coughs> but that, what, I, that was such an important thing for God that He was prepared to allow me to go through that. So was that over the top? Evidently not.
0: You made a bit of man out of that. Yeah,
1: with character, right? <laughs> a bit of a character there. <laughs> But I, more than that, I'm, I'm actually very grateful to what God showed me uh, as a result of that very difficult experience, <coughs> because I understand grace in a way that I never would have. <coughs> and then I thought about all the stories of, of the Christian leaders who have been publicly exposed as hypocrites because they were doing all sorts of hideous things behind closed doors, claiming that they were godly. They were hypocrites too, right? And it would seem that God is prepared to accept the shame and humiliation of his, of his church by disciplining, or perhaps judging in some cases, these men rather than tolerating what they were doing. Like you think about the damage that, that um, those kind of um, <clears throat> stories have caused uh, the gospel of Christ uh, all across the Western world. <clears throat> Now, don't hear me saying that every type of suffering in life is the result of God's discipline because of our own, perhaps, idolatry. I don't mean that at all. But what I am clearly saying is that any belief in us that undermines the finished work of Jesus, that says in effect that something else is needed in addition to God's grace for us to be free or to bring meaning in our lives, will result in God's discipline for those of us who are believers, for those of us who are children. Not judgment, that's reserved for unbelievers, but discipline. (coughs) And we all know, especially those of us who are parents, that discipline is a necessary expression of love. (laughs) 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 (coughs) Ayum. It's a necessary expression of love.
0: It's hard though, it's hard. hard. It's really hard to discipline
1: discipline children at times because you want
0: also their love, but sometimes you've got to be tough. Mm. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Well, that uh, that's, can also be a healthy thing where, where, like, what's that? As a
0: kid you don't see That your parents are disciplining you Is them showing sure they love you yeah. You just like That's a picture No You can see
1: So to dis- Not to discipline is not to love and I, yeah, I totally with you, I find it very difficult to, to, to discipline that in Kizia. But man, if you don't, <coughs> it's not good, it's even worse. So rather than resist or resent this discipline, I think it's far more beneficial to cooperate with the Lord <coughs> and embrace this process by asking as David did, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, to do this authentically, to do this, to be willing to to place our hearts before the Lord and ask him to show us if there is any offensive way in us. This is where this idea that, that we are made perfect in Christ becomes so important. Because if I'm if I'm not sure about the love of God, if I if I'm not, <clears throat> if I haven't, if my sins, are, my current sins are still a problem uh, to God, and His presence is, is not a place where I can bring, I can be myself authentically, I'll never be able to do this. Okay, so I think. <clears throat> This, this understanding of, this, of, the, of the gospel, that, that all of our sins are forgiven, our past, present, and future, makes it possible for us to do this. <clears throat> and, and the Lord um, kind of brought an example to my mind as I was going for a run um, this afternoon. Um, you know, I've, <clears throat> I've loved, um, although it's been difficult, I've loved. Um, starting a wide church with all you guys and and it's been wonderful and uh, I've I've learned so much <clears throat> and it's wonderful to to be able to <clears throat> um chart our own course as it were and and to seek God's will for us as as a as a small part of His body. But the Lord showed me this afternoon as I was going for a run that, that part of me uh, desires. Uh, to, to be able to say, for for our abide church to to grow and flourish, and then say, hey look, you see you guys, let's hear it, right? <clears throat> and that's what the Lord showed me this afternoon, and I was like, well, Lord, what I'm going to do um, at the end, I'm going to pray that the the Holy Spirit of God will not only uh, express himself in a greater way in our church, but also in the churches of other, others in the, in the city. So that's one way I can cooperate with the Spirit of God and, and weeding out any kind of residual pharisaism in my, in my life. Now I can't do this if I'm not confident that, that God still loves me, that, that it's all good with, with me and God. That I can't do this if I, if, I believe, uh, if I don't believe that God's presence is a safe place for, for me to be myself. So this is, um, I think, a really important um, outcome, a cooperation with God um, for spiritual growth uh, to allow him to search our hearts and to weed out any offensive ways in us. So what are the messages of the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Well, I think it's pretty clear that the the church was terrified. <laughs> it says that the not only were the church terrified, but um, some of those who were going to join them uh, w- didn't join them because they were just so terrified. It's like, man, ain't going near this guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll look at a nice and square. The <laughs> so there was, there was, um, and and I guess it, it, what this means is that it's very dangerous to reject the grace of God. Ultimately, a rejection of grace will result in judgment and eternal separation from God for those that don't believe. But even for us who do believe, the deceitfulness of our hearts means that we are often blind to the Pharisee within us. <clears throat> and this is, uh, can be quite alarming when, we, when we, the Lord reveals it to us and ourselves. <clears throat> So as we seek a greater expression of the Holy Spirit in our midst, um, and as we have been doing that, we've seen good things happen, and we can expect many more good things to happen. And, you know, I really encourage you to pray for more of the Holy Spirit in your own life, a greater freedom um, for the Holy Spirit to move, uh, and also for our church, and and as I said before, pray for other churches in our city, so that it's not just... um, you know, us flourishing uh, by the grace of God it will be all churches flourishing <clears throat> but as, as I said in the, in the title of, of, this, of this sermon I think it's important that we also ask God to protect us not only from Pharisees joining us from the outside like Ananias and Sapphira join the early church but also to ask God to keep our own hearts pure of Phariseism. And there's no more effective way of shutting down a move of God than by the Pharisaical Spirit. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> there's a story in Keith Green's um, biography where they were at a Christian university and the Spirit of God was, was moving powerfully and people were getting up and confessing sin and then the sins got, got more and more like, and then people were confessing sleeping together and then, and then people were con- confessing all sorts of other things and then the the head of the university came out and goes okay that's it this, this is stopping now we're shutting this down and boom that was it so it wasn't it wasn't the what we would call the sinners who shut down the move of god it was the christian guy who was concerned about how the university would look from the perspective of other no. people oh, if people find out about that we'll lose students and oh stop <clears throat> Right? instead of rejoicing what God was doing he cut it <clears throat> so what is the cure to the weed of pharisaism that lurks in all of our hearts and I believe it's a greater acceptance of grace and, and like I was saying before this, this belief that the, in Christ all of our sins are forgiven creates a safe place for us to live authentically before God we 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 don't have to hide anything from god anymore why because we're already forgiven jesus has already been punished for everything we've ever done so let's bring it out let's let's if if we're conscious of of the lord saying "Eh, something there okay lord there you go what's there reveal it to me and the definition of grace is unmerited or undeserved favor And therefore when we say, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, which sounds awesome, and I've always loved that, we are actually saying, may the undeserved favour of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. We are proclaiming our undeservedness, and you're also proclaiming that we can still receive blessing from the Lord, because He is good. And I don't know about you, but there's a little bit of something in me that doesn't like proclaiming my undeservedness. I like the favour bit. It's good. there's something in me that doesn't like proclaiming my undeservedness right so when we say the grace may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be Mm -hmm. with you we're proclaiming we don't deserve his grace and there's a a bit of a bitter pill to swallow, there's something in me that still reacts to that so that tells me there's still a bit of Pharisee left to be weeded up (laughs) by the Lord So I'm going to embrace my undeservedness even more by proclaiming His grace. So as we continue, uh, both individually and collectively as a church, to seek more of the Holy Spirit and a greater expression of His presence and power, let's also ask Him to keep us in a spiritual place of humility and reliance on Him in every aspect of our lives, so that His grace is undeserved Over there it is again may be poured out upon us and our families and our communities in abundance Mm -hmm. so let's just pray lord we thank you for this sobering story that we read in the scriptures which tells us first and foremost lord that it is dangerous to reject your grace How much it cost you, Lord? How much it cost your son? Lord, you will not tolerate anything that demands something in addition to that perfect sacrifice. So, Lord, we ask you to keep us in a place of humility, of orientation towards you, of, of living authentically before you, of allowing you access to our hearts, allowing you into those areas of our lives that maybe we haven't ever allowed you in before. Lord, search our hearts and examine us and see if there's any offensive way in us and gently remove that from our lives, we pray. And Lord, we pray for a greater expression of your spirit, more of your love and more of your power, more of your presence, Lord, your healing, your blessing, your favour. We ask that for ourselves individually and as a, as a congregation, a church, we pray for every church in this town where those of your family gather and pray that you would flourish them Lord. Bless them with your presence. Cause your grace, your undeserved favour to be poured out in abundance upon our brothers and sisters and other congregations and especially Lord of, of the Church of West Hamilton. Lord, we pray especially for this this congregation, our sister congregation, Lord. More of your spirit, more of your presence, Lord. So, Lord, we thank you for your word to us. Lord, may we remain in your presence, reliant on your grace. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus.